We're going to read Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, we'll read the first 12 verses together. Acts 19 verse, tw- uh, 19, verse 12, 1 to 12. <clears throat> this is what God says. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Also that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Amen. We know God will add his own blessing to this reading of his word. The part of the shipyard I worked in in Belfast was the stockyard. That was one time, one part I worked in. In the stockyard where plates of metal were stored. Now, they were stored out in the open air. Uh, but there was a four-meter line and a two-meter line. The steel plates were up to four meters wide and two meters wide. And as long, it could be as long as the, the, the middle line of pews in the church. Two automatic, two automatic machines went out back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, hour after hour to collect a plate and bring them into the shot blasting, paint spraying and drying line. It came in from the outside through large rollers, through a series of 20 heaters, through a shot blaster, through the automatic red lead spraying, painter, through a a long heat tunnel, and then out the other side. The full length of the line would be as long as from the front to the back of the church, including the church hall. When the plate went through the heat tunnel, but before it went outside, there was a man at the end of the line who wrote a series of numbers in each plate. When they went, when the plate was taken outside, they were picked up by another crane and deposited in particular piles according to their numbers. Now the reason was the man was at the end of the line was because the numbers he wrote on the plates were extremely important because the numbers were all part of a giant jigsaw puzzle of putting a ship together. One of the markers at the end of the line was called Diamond Shondell. Wasn't his real name. I can't remember his real name, but I've never forgotten Diamond Shondell. He was a wrestler. 
And as you can imagine, he was a big bloke. He was a big bloke. In those days, I was about 11 stone. And he would have weighed about 16, 17 stone. However, the Lord allowed me to build up a good relationship with him. And I was able to threaten him and get away with it. Probably because I could run faster than him. I used to tell him to shut up and get on with a job or I'll put you on your back, big man. Not many others got away with that. But thankfully he knew I was joking. I used to say, come on, try it and see what happens. But that was when I was leaving him. But that was part of the conversation. But I was also able to stand and have good spiritual conversations with this big man. Probably because of the banter as well. The angel was a nickname of one of those godly men God sent to me as a mentor when I was a young Christian in the shipyard. His name was Bertie. He was a little man. He was only about five foot. And he was a powerful witness in the shipyard for over 45 years. He didn't need to run away from anyone. He was fearless in spreading the gospel. One night shift, Diamond had to have a fight. Keen's Hall or something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't a fight fight. He didn't come into work, so they sent over the angel to mark the plates at the end of his line. Before the angel left in the morning, he took a small block of wood, just about that size, and he wrote on it Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and he left it on Diamond's desk. In the AV it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The next night I was doing my rounds, and when I eventually got the diamond at the end of the line, he showed me the block, and I was able to spend just a few minutes explaining Satan and sin, and of course the Savior. It was just a few minutes, but then back to me threatening him before I ran away, before he grabbed me. I went back regularly to give Diamond some stick, some abuse. And for months, that little block of wood never left Diamond's desk. Nobody was allowed to move it, by the way. <laughs> nobody, nobody had the, the, the guts to move that bit of wood. Of course, the angel used that verse as a robot Diamond. Perfect verse for a wrestler. And it was eventually lost, but I believe that now and again, when Diamond wrestled, God brought to his memory Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. But when Paul wrote that verse, it wasn't to get a dig at anybody. It wasn't written in banter. It wasn't a joke with a jag. When Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he wrote it to encourage them, to teach them, and especially to remind them and warn them just how dangerous Ephesus was. Paul was deadly serious because Ephesians was a hotbed for the occult. Sorry, Ephesus was a hotbed for the occult. The centerpiece of Ephesus was a large temple of Diana, known as one of the seven world, seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. Diana was the goddess of the hunt, and strangely enough, she was also the goddess of animals. And of course, she was very beautiful. The temple also housed a large, multi-breasted statue of Diana, who was locally called Artemis. 
It was supposed to have fallen from the stars or sent from the gods. It was the center of the superstitious religions of the day, and there were dozens of all sorts of cults worshiping their own gods and goddesses. As usual, in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, Paul preached in the, in the synagogue, and he had some success. People believed and were saved. But after three months, he was told to leave the synagogue. So in verse 9, he took the disciples, that's the new converts, the 12 men, with him and had discussions daily in the lecture halls of Tyrannus. Now, you know it wasn't the house of Tyrannus. Apparently, Tyrannus was the local philosopher who gave lectures in the form of a school. His name means tyrant. But as one commentator wrote, since it's difficult to think of any parent naming their child Tarrant, the name must have been a nickname given to him by his students. A good name, Rodney, eh? Imagine your pupils calling you Tarrant. Tarrant seems to have been converted and allowed Paul to use his halls when he wasn't lecturing. One of the older translations of the Bible has it that Paul taught from the fifth hour to the tenth hour. The Jewish day starts at 6 o'clock in the morning to the 5th hour, which would have been 11 o'clock in the morning. And then from the 10th hour, which is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The working day is 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning. Then again, from 4 o'clock to 9.30 at night. It was during the rest period that they, they rested in the heat of the day that Paul used the halls from 11 o'clock to four o'clock in the afternoon. That was a full day. Work at tent making and leather work from seven to eleven. Lecture and teach from eleven to four. And then back to tent making and leather work from four to nine thirty. And that went on for two and a half years. And the reason he did it is in verse 10. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That was commitment, true godly commitment. Today, some people can't even get out for more than one meeting a week. And not only did Paul preach, verse 11 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Many of the, the miracles were direct. People came to Paul and God used them to miraculously heal and restore people as a sign that he was sent from God. The Jews were continually looking for signs. But what also happened was handkerchiefs and aprons were taken to the sick. Obviously, the aprons were the aprons Paul wore around his waist as he worked with the leather. The handkerchiefs were the sweatbands he wore as he worked and taught in the midday heat. The people were so in awe, they borrowed them and took them home to their sick and paralyzed relatives who couldn't, get to, who couldn't come to Paul. Now, it has to be said that nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does God say that an object or even a man, apart from Jesus himself, was able to cure anyone. The only thing that was able to cure miraculously is faith. We read in Luke chapter 8, a lady had an issue of blood for some 12 years. No matter how many doctors she went to or how many cures she took, nothing could cure her. One day as Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, there was a crowd. And in the midst of the crowd, this lady said to herself, 
If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She reached out, and as soon as she did, Jesus stopped and asked, Who touched me? The disciples were amazed and said, Master, it could have been anybody. Look at the crowds. Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I felt power go out of me. In other words, he knew something special had happened. The lady sheepishly came forward and confessed what had happened, and Jesus said, Go, your faith has made you whole. It wasn't the hem of the garment. It was the woman's faith that cured her. God saw her faith and she was healed. It was the same with Paul. It wasn't the handkerchiefs or the aprons. It was the people's faith that God recognized. And on the strength of their faith, they were healed. Throughout the centuries, and particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, there's been a lot of superstition. People are told that certain objects are holy objects. And they're told that if they touched them or bought one of them, they would have all their sins forgiven. During the Reformation, there were three popes. One to decide which, to decide which was the true pope, they went to war. But because their war lasted longer than they thought, they ran out of money. So one of, the, one of them had a great idea. We'll send the priest out to collect indulgences. And if you buy these indulgences, then all your sins will be forgiven. But the Pope soon ran out of money. The priest came back with more indulgences. When the people said, but what happened to our sins already forgiven? He said, ah, but that was only on the day you bought that indulgence. You've had more sins since then, and you have to buy more indulgences. Even up to 40, 50 years ago, the superstitious Ireland, people were still buying holy relics. An elderly couple I knew had been to the Holy Land, and they told me the religious sites were a moneymaker for the Catholic Church. You have to pay for everything. Touch the foot, kiss the hand, special tours to the Holy Sepulchre, only 20 pounds, all in the name of God and forgiveness. And people are still going to Lourdes and knock, hoping for a miracle. Today, there are evangelists who will tell you, buy this book and learn how to speak in a heavenly tongue. Some other thing as well. I was speaking to some civilian instructors in RAF Cosford many years ago about American televangelists. One such was Benny Hinn. One of the instructors told me he read a book his mother-in-law had sent for. He said it, when he read it, it was okay. It was quite good. There were a lot of Christian phrases in it and a lot of Bible references. But then you got to within the last few pages and there was a paragraph encouraging the, the buyers to buy another book. And at the end it said, if you're still not sure how to pray, send us a note and we'll get hundreds of prayer partners to pray for you for just one donation of £10. Kenneth Copeland was another who charged for people to come and hear how to have your sins forgiven, your body healed, and your bank account increased. And they're not the only ones. There's an old saying, good living for a living. So although these men were using, these men in, in chapter 19 were using and abusing their position in the book of Acts, there are still many charlatans today who are on the lookout to make a fast quid out of the church. Be careful what you read. 
Be careful who you watch and listen to. And be very careful who you support with your money. Paul was a busy man. He made tents. He, he, he taught the fundamentals of the gospel. He pastored. He rebuked. He was going from house to house. He evangelized. He planted churches and also directed missionary expeditions. And he suffered persecution time and time again. What a man. I wonder just how far we're prepared to go and how much we're prepared to do for the sake of the gospel. When you read about the Puritans, the Congregationalists of old, those who founded the denomination, the Presbyterians, the nonconformists, in and around the 1660s, there were over 60,000 who suffered and over 8,000 who died because ministers and congregations would not conform to the corruption of the bishops and the politicians during the persecution by the Anglican Church. Because they believed with all their heart that there was only one way of salvation and the liturgy was not the way. They believed that the preaching of the gospel was the only means of salvation and they were prepared to die rather than allow it to be reduced and ridiculed. What's your position? Would you defend it? Would you continue to proclaim it under persecution? Would you defend it with your life because of your love for God and your fellow Christians? Or would you recant and knuckle, knuckle down to the system of the day? None of us know what we would do. But as the old adage says, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In Paul's case, it was the worship of Diana and the occult but he took a stand and Satan's kingdom was sent reeling because of the power of the gospel. Another message of being religious, another method of being religious is looking like Christians. Now, I'm not talking about your clothes you wear. That's not what Acts 19 is talking about. Some people do put on the air of being a Christian. What people do is they, they, they act and show off as a Christian. For example, these seven sons of Sceva, they tried to do three things. They tried to make money out of the people by taking money to cast out devils. They tried to look as if they were part of the church by the things they said and the things they did. And they used the name of Jesus as a front for their evil deeds. In a pagan superstitious city riddled with the occult, exorcism was a common trade. Most of the exorcists knew the powerful spirits by name and were even in league with them. But God decided to take, to take a stand in these events and deal with those who used his name in vain. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What they were actually doing was taking the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That was breaking the third commandment. Thou shalt, have, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, taking God's name in vain is not simply swearing. 
for God's sake, or Christ or Jesus is a bad language. Taking God's name in vain is using God's name for anything other than praise and prayer. There's many hoodwinkers who seem to be very religious. They tell people who, who, who go to readings and the seances they have been given a gift from God to see across to the other side. They'll even thank God for the privilege of allowing them to help someone reach their departed husband or their daughter or their mother. All they're doing is playing on the emotions and misery of those who are hurting, and they're making it legitimate by looking and sounding religious. The problem is, taking God's name in vain is common language today. And Christians fall into the trap. Have you ever said, as God is my judge, taking the Lord's name in vain, as sure as God is above me, I swear by God I'll get that for you. What about crikey? Or cripes? Or cheese? Or even G's? Common language today. All shortened versions of Jesus. I remember a woman in Bridge North who used to say, Oh, Christmas! Be careful you don't fall into the trap of using God's name in vain by mistake. Because every time people take the Lord's name in vain, neither to praise Him nor pray for Him, they bring more judgment on themselves. And God won't always allow people to use them for their own ends, nor to use His name to make money, nor continue to abuse people when they're hurting. God will not let His name be disgraced. The sons of Sceva, the Jewish, high, the, the Jewish chief priest, were abusing their position. They tried to cast out demons in Jesus' name. God knew they were not Christian and they were not going to glorify him. So God even used the devils to rebuke them and stop their evil practices. But there was another reason why God intervened. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? The church was developing in Jerusalem. Disciples were coming together and uniting in Christ. They were being seen as something special from God. This was a new people of God, set apart by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the day of the Lord and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The church was united, and people brought their property and wealth to the apostles for distribution among the poor. Ananias and Sapphira sold their, some of their property at a certain price and told the apostles another figure, and because of their lies, God struck them dead on the spot. They were saved. Sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit living within them. But they told a lie about the money. God did a number of things when he struck them dead. He punished them. Even Christians are not allowed to get away with sin. He put fear into the hearts of the other new disciples. He protected his name in the newly formed church. He also put fear to those outside the church. But above all, he saved many when they saw the holiness and the righteousness and the power of God. In Acts chapter 19 here, God is doing something new again. He was establishing a new church in Ephesus. And rather than allow Satan destroy what he was doing, God stepped in and rebuked Satan and his dominion. And as a result, just like Jerusalem, people were in awe of God and more were added to the church. 
There are still people today who are flying in the face of God. They think they continue to flout as conditions and as standards. They even seem to be getting away with it. But one day God will uphold his honor and the whole world will see it. Until then, we need to be sure we're living to that standard ourselves and that we are not bringing God's into name into disrepute. Paul was continually, continually in the battle against Satan's kingdom. He was doing too much for God for Satan to simply ignore it. However, Paul was continually preparing himself for the fight. How do we know? Well, he lived in the city of the Temple of Diana, amidst all the occult worship of that great day. He knew the conditions, and later, when he wrote his epistle to the Ephesians, he said, Put on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Just as the angel said to Diamond Shundell. The exhortation is also for us today. Paul was in the thick of the fight. And as we go into the future as a church, we'll be faced with doubt, questions and accusations, and Satan will do his best to hold us back. If you get a chance today or sometime during the week, read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet showed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Bertie the angel told Diamond Shaldale that we wrestle against more than man. We wrestle against the wiles of the devil and it's the armor of God that will defend us. But there's no armor for the back. We must face the front, face the devil and resist him and face our fears. But with the armor, we can face the future, whatever God has planned for us. Consider the use of each piece of armor And think about putting it on as you go into battle every day, not just with respect to this church, but respect to your own daily lives. We face a world that is not happy with Christians. You need to put that armor on day by day. And above all, take note of verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with the saints. I know there are people here who feel they have no part in the battle. They're too old. They don't have any gifts. But there is a vital ministry for fight against Satan, and every Christian has a part in prayer. Intercession might even be your gift. 
If you're feeling you're not able to go to face the front, become the rear guard and fight for those in the in the front. Pray. Do you remember when the children of Israel left Egypt and faced their first battle? Joshua and the army were down in the valley fighting the foe. And Moses was up on the hilltop with his arms in the air. And as long as he prayed, he kept his arms high. And when he flagged, his arms sagged. As long as his arms were held high, the army knew he was praying for them and continued to win the battle. You people in the home guard, you people who are not able to go out and do the fight and the preaching and the teaching and all that great work that they seem to think they can't do, the army knew he was praying for them. And we need to know you're praying for us. So pray on. And as you pray, the front line will continue to win the fight. But as we fight, God will give us the victory in the days ahead. As Paul ministered in Ephesus, he went into the thick of the battle of the enemy in the enemy's own turf. It was a long battle. It lasted two and a half years. But in the end, Paul overcame the enemy. And it's still the same today. As we go home, we should remember God gives us daily, hourly victory against Satan as we live to please the Lord. He gives us victory as we live before our family and friends and neighbors. And his place is right here in the thick of the battle in Valamina. It'll be a long battle, but in the end, no matter how long, God will give us the victory and men and women will be snatched from Satan's kingdom. So today, put on the full armor and pray. Pray that Satan will be defeated in Balamina and that God will get all the glory in all we do.